Okay, we're going to discuss this topic of righteousness, manhood, and womanhood. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and it talks about uh, uh, when the angel appears to Mary. It says, Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what type of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth who has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So you see that that Mary, we know, was, was betrothed or engaged to Joseph, and that was really quite a binding thing much more than engagement is today. And this angel comes and appears to her and says that you're going to bear a son and his name shall be Jesus. Well, what about if I had kind of another name for him? I kind of wanted to name my own child. I mean, don't I get to name my own child? Who is this angel to tell me what I'm to name my child? And not only that, it says he's going to be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will have no end. And so already the angel has now said what his job is going to be. You know, what his name is going to be, what his job is going to be, and he's going to be the Son of the Most High. I thought, Joseph, you know, we're kind of tight here in our engagement, you know, and and, uh, all of a sudden I'm going to have a son, and... He's not going to be called the son of Joseph. So there's all these changes coming in what was going through her mind. And and then she doesn't even understand what's going on. I mean, how is this going to happen? I mean, I'm a virgin. You know, God has always spoken highly of virginity. And the angel then just went on to say that this holy child is going to be called the son of God. So God comes and starts saying that I'm going to do some changes. You may have had some plans in your life, but there's going to be some changes here. And Mary's response is really quite interesting. She says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord may it be done according to your word. Can you imagine how disruptive this must have been? You've got all these wedding plans. And all of a sudden you're about to be pregnant? With a child that's not through Joseph, 
How's she going to explain this to Joseph? I mean, there's not a good explanation here. Uh, I'm pregnant, but God made me pregnant. <laughs> you know, remember, this has never happened before, and it's only happened once since then. You know, this, this is the only time. This is a very hard thing to explain. This is a big change. Something very strange here. You know, when God comes into your life, He says there can be some changes here. There's going to be some changes. And we have a choice to say, no, I don't want it. I refuse it. I don't want that. I don't want that child. We can say, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done according to your word. If you want to walk with God, you must allow God to change your life, to change your plans, to change the thoughts on who you might marry, to change the thoughts on how you might raise your children, on where you might live. All of that isn't up to us anymore. Well, I kind of want a house that kind of looks like this. It has a white picket fence. and has this. Well, God may want you to have a home in the inner city and minister to a different kind of people than what you had planned on. God may change your plans. And we have every opportunity to say no and to do it our own way. Because without free will, love itself is impossible. But you see Mary the way she was. It's not passivity. Oh, well. Whatever you want. It's receptivity. It's being receptive to God. What this woman demonstrated was a woman who was receptive to the Lord, to His changes in her life. And are we willing to see the changes? And the changes are not easy. And because of all of this, I'm having to travel during a census time. We always see these pictures of her riding on a donkey. She probably wasn't. They were really poor. Probably walking. I have four children. My wife has been nine months pregnant four times. And there's a lot of hormonal changes there. <laughs> and I feel sorry for Joseph. <laughs> she went through a lot. And then Joseph forgets to make reservations. And they end up in a barn. And my wife, who is as nice as can be, as kind and gentle as can be, I've never heard her say a bad thing about anyone in 25 years of marriage. I mean, just it's unusual in how nice she is. When we were in the hospital and she was having one of the kids, I think it was the first one. I mean, the stuff that she would say. God changes plans in lives. Are we open to that? Now let's look at, at, at Joseph in, in Matthew chapter 1. It talks about Joseph. Matthew chapter 1. 
verse 18, now the birth of Jesus, Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, God comes and changes what Joseph had planned on. Joseph is betrothed to this woman, again, remember, a very binding relationship, far more binding than our engagements today. In fact, it was probably far more binding than our marriages today. And Joseph, her husband, it says, and she was found, in verse, in verse 18, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him such and such. So before the angel ever spoke to him, he finds out that this woman is pregnant. So someone comes and tells him, probably some family member tells him. I don't think, understanding the culture, that she herself told him. Mary is pregnant. Even if Someone had said she's pregnant by God. You don't believe that. It says, but he being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her. By the law in Israel, she should have been stoned to death. How dare you disgrace me and my family by doing this? The disgrace, the pain. I mean, to plan for a wedding and be all ready for the wedding, and send out the invitations, and then have to say, well, the wedding's off. We're no longer engaged. I mean, that happens sometimes, and it's, it's a hard thing. But can you imagine in this culture, the woman being pregnant? And what does the man say? What happens now? People know the date when they got married, and they know that this child is... It's just disgrace all around. It says, however... Joseph being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. Before the angel ever spoke to him, he had decided, I will not disgrace this woman. I mean, our reaction might be, well, I'll get my pound of flesh now. You disgrace me, I will disgrace you. But not so with Joseph. Just the pain he must have gone through. And he said, I will not disgrace this woman. Let's see how we could get her sent away secretly so no shame comes to her. Let's see how we could deal with this. This is righteousness to cover up for another rather than exposing one another's sin. To cover up for another. This is what righteousness is. Receptivity to God. How about Joseph's plans? He says, this is going to be the child. 
You're going to bear a son. And then he says the child is going to be conceived of the Holy Spirit. Well, I kind of wanted be, to be the one to, you know, have the child with this woman. I kind of planned on that. But he yields to God's plan. He's a righteous man. He being a righteous man did not want to disgrace her. He being a righteous man yielded to God's plan. He says, you're going to bear a son in verse 21. His name is going to be Jesus. Here, I thought I'd kind of name him after my father. No, he's going to be named Jesus. Again, God comes in and changes the plans. And he kept her a virgin until the day, uh, until she gave birth to a son. I mean, it's a long time to keep her a virgin. And it's kind of hard. What's a young man want to do? He's just kind of looking forward to this. But he's a righteous man. And he yields to God's plan. This is what righteousness is. What about manhood? What does it mean to be man? You know, so much we struggle with manhood. I certainly did. I thought to be a man, you know, you had to be, you had to be tall and big muscles and, and witty and, 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 you know, the life of the party and have, you know, a girl hanging on each arm and at least one. <laughs> but that's what it meant to be a man. Is, what does it mean to be a man? So many of us struggle with what it means to be a man. You know, I teach a Bible study to the Houston Astros and I say to them, okay, how many of you feel that you've attained the manhood that God wants for you? Nobody raises their hand. I said, isn't it interesting? My son hangs your pictures on his wall because you to him are the image of real men. But none of you feel like real men in the way God has called you to be. And I can relate to that. We struggle with manhood, and women struggle with women, womanhood. What does it mean to be a woman? I thought it so much had to do with looks. You know, in so many of the things that I had envisioned a man should be, I knew I could never attain. And what do the scriptures say? What did Jesus look like? Was Jesus this great image of a man that like I had. You know, in, in Isaiah, Isaiah 52, it actually tells us what Jesus looked like. In Isaiah 52, we get a glimpse here of what He looked like. But we'll, we'll first start reading in Isaiah 53, reading from verse 1, speaking of the coming Messiah. Isaiah 53, Who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. So what did Jesus look like? Here it is. It says, He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him. There was nothing handsome, unusually handsome about Him. There was nothing stately about Him. In fact, 
I'm a Jew. I was born and raised a Jew. I'm what's called a Messianic Jew. Messianic Jewish scholars read this, and you know what they say? They say that the Messiah, when Messianic Jewish scholars interpret this, the Messiah was probably five foot three with buck teeth. There was nothing there that would be attracted physically. Nothing. So whatever image you have of Jesus being an Eastern European with a sharp nose and brown, beautiful, flowing hair, it's not right. It says right here there was nothing attractive about him that made it attractive in the flesh. And in fact, it says, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Nothing in his flesh. You know, you look when a handsome man walks into a room, and I've seen it because I've had handsome friends and I like to hang out with them, and it's amazing the, the, the response that they elicit when they walk in a room, and, and I see the, the, the head of women turning and looking at them. And all this whispering going on. And I know they're not saying that to me, it's with the guy I'm with. And I see the same thing with women, particularly attractive women, the special attention that they get. Just walking in a room. And I have these students that are attractive young women. And I go to these meetings with them. And I see the the reception we get at, 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 you know, when we go. And and people, and how kind they are to these women just because of the way they look. Jesus didn't have that. Jesus had none of that. So if there's this image in you that you've got to be more handsome to be the man or the woman, to be more beautiful that God wanted you to be, not true. The Lord Himself never had it. This gives me great hope. It does. This has brought me great comfort and great security in what God has given me. It says, He was despised and forsaken of men. I've never been despised. I don't know anybody who's ever despised me. I know people don't like me. You know, but to be despised? It's never happened to me. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Twice it says he was despised. Like one from whom men hide their face. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You know, you're in a group of people and somebody goes like this to you. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Growing up and the pain that that is. When somebody singles you out and discounts you, that hurts. And I would venture to guess it's happened to everyone here because I know humankind. This is what happened to Jesus, like one from whom men hide their faith. Oh, come on. This is what happened to Jesus. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? It cannot be physical. Turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 1. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged Him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and to say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. 
Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So it talks about the scourging of Jesus. What did Jesus look like when he came out? Keep your finger there, turn back to Isaiah. But Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, keep your finger there, though, in John 19. And in Isaiah 52, it says what he looked like after his scourging. It gives the description. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut up their mouths on account of him. For what has not been told them, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. So you see in verse 14, his appearance was marred more than any other man. How many people saw that, the Passion, the Passion of Christ, that movie? When I saw that scourging, it did nothing for me. I felt, I turned to my daughter, I said, this is not true. It says that he was marred more than any other man. Jesus didn't receive 39 lashes. That was the Jews' lashings. The Roman lashings could go to any number, but it would also tear the face. He was marred more than any other man. What we do in chemistry to our graduate students is we show them pictures of people who have been involved in lab accidents. We show them the faces of people who had sulfuric acid spilled in their face. And you look at these faces, and you can't tell if that was a man or a woman or a dog or a horse. You can't tell. It's so, so disfigured on these living people. It says Jesus was marred more than any other man in his scourging. This is what he was in his scourging. Turn back to John chapter 19, verse 5. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. You want to know what a man is? Here is the image of a man. A man who has so given himself for the other. He has been so marred more than any other human being. This is the image of manhood. This is the image of womanhood. That I would give myself so totally for you to preserve your dignity. This is what manhood is. In marriage, it is. And in relationships between men and women, it is this. Does this thought, does this word, does this action image the love of God? If it does not, it is not the love of God. Is it self-sacrificing? Is it in the other's best interest? This thought, this word, this action, is it in the other's best interest? If it is not, it is not the love of God. When a young man says to a woman, sleep with me, I really love you. If that word, that thought is not in their best interest, it is not the love of God. 
Does this thought, does this word, does this action image the love of God, meaning in the best interest of the other, that I would give myself so totally for you? This has given me great success toward lustful, controlling lustful thoughts, which young men struggle with. That when I have this thought, I say, Lord, thank you for the beauty of this woman. She's been made in the image of God. May I never use her or abuse her for my own lustful gain. And let me come to see my own sexuality rightly. And boom, go figure, God answers. Young man, you want to know a prescription for success over lustful thoughts? It is this. You pray this prayer and God gives great release. And you begin to see her as a child of God. And to this day, I pray that prayer often. And I've been married 25 years. And God works on my heart. This is what gives great release. Because remember, the image of manhood is is I would give myself so totally for you. This is what it means to be a man. The depth of this is what can give us control over our thought life. Is this thought in the other's best interest? If not, it is not the love of God. It is not. Receptivity to God's change in our life. Being open to God changing the path and the course of what I've mapped out for my life. Being able to change the course of who I might kind of like. This happens very often to women right about your age. If you're not yet engaged and there's no one on the horizon, women start compromising and settling for much less than they'd like to because they see friends around them getting engaged and married. And one day a young woman who was a medical student started to drift away from the Lord. She was attending my Sunday school class and she started to drift away. She started to come with these questions about God. and You know, questioning God, questioning things about God is fine. And God welcomes questions. But the nature of her questions were about the utter existence of God. And that's okay too. But they were becoming really strange in the way she was asking them. And finally I said to her, let me ask you this. Have you met a young man that you kind of like? And he's sharing some things with you and you know he's not a believer. And you know that if you're going to pursue a relationship with this young man, you can't pursue it in a Christian manner. And could that be the source of these questions? She said, well, yeah, there is a guy I've met. and We've been spending a lot of time talking. No, he's not a Christian. And remember that at the root of most atheism, it's not intellectual. It's moral. The root of most atheism is moral and not intellectual. We have something we want to do our way that we know is not of God. 
And then we build up many intellectual arguments against God and against His ways. Young women, don't compromise on this. God has the very best for your life. I can't... I don't know that every young woman is going to be married here. I don't know. Chances are, you will be. Chances are, if you look statistically, within the church, within the church, 50% of the people will be divorced, will undergo, through, undergo the pain of divorce. Chances are, 50% of the people in this room will marry and get divorced. Statistically. There is a group of people that has less than 1% divorce rate. Less than 1%. And I can't even share it here because I don't have time. But it's on my website. And I encourage you to go there. You go to... (laughs) I can't share it here because if I share it without the preamble, which I haven't time for, you utterly won't believe it. But this group of people has less than 1% divorce rate. And it's not just for Christians. It goes with any religion. If you go to jmtour.com, or if you just Google Jim Tour, go to my website, look at the audio files on the uh, um, uh, personal something, and then look for the audio files, and look up the series, Scriptural Sexual Ethics. It's a six-part series, and you Download it onto your iPod. It's all on iTunes. You just you can just grab it from there if you want, and it'll it will um it'll go through this and listen to it. It has six parts. You listen to part one first, part two second, and you work your way through it. Part six reveals exactly how to absolutely divorce-proof your marriage. And it is statistically proven. And the reason I tell you this is because I want it for you. And most pastors wouldn't share it. My pastor wouldn't even share it. And I understand why he won't share it. I mean, it's a tough thing for a pastor to share. But anyway, I want the very best for you. The very best for you. To learn how to walk as a man and as a woman. Totally sold out for God. And that in the relationship, you understand what it is to be a Mary, what it is to be a Joseph. That whatever I say, whatever I do, is in the other's best interest. And I want to also spare you pain. Let me give you what happens. I guess, how long have you guys been married? Okay, wonderful. Let let me tell you what happens about five years into marriage a typical complaint in men in marriage if you get them talking is this woman doesn't have enough sex with me a typical complaint in marriage by young women is this guy is just always wanting sex i don't understand it's just it's just a machine and it's just and there's a lot of discontent there i can spare you that discontent And I counsel with many, many young people. And I can spare you this. And this is in that series. I don't have time to develop it now. That series, it's it's about a two and a half, three hour, six part series total. But it will spare you that. And I have young couples that I speak to. 
And they're like, this is so right on. This is exactly where we are. And this is exactly where we go through. What we go through. And I know it because I've been there. Young man, every lustful thought you have, I have had. Everything you have, have struggled with, I struggled with. Everything. You go to this six-part series and I will share all about myself and my struggles right there. It's right in your face so that you know that you are not alone. I want to spare you that pain. And there is victory over this. And I want your marriages to be really divorce-proof. I have been married for 25 years. I love my wife so much. I think about her all the time. To me, she has the face of a china doll. And I just love her. I can't keep my hands off her. I kiss her all the time. I love to be with her. You know, guys talk about, I love to go out with the guys. I don't. I love to be with my wife. I just love to be with her. I love to go places with her wherever I am. I love to hold her hand. And it wasn't always this way. It's as I've found the scriptural truth to walking as a man. It really drives me closer to her. I've been to, we have been together to about six marriage counselors throughout our married life. And we'll go whenever we need it. And if I sense that there's something we need to work through, I have friends who are marriage counselors and I go and I say, we're here for a tune-up. And I initiate it. As the husband, I initiate it. My wife doesn't have to. And we go and we get tuned up. And I'll tell you, we have 30 to 40 college students in our home every week for meals. We minister a lot to people. And we work on our marriage. And I love her so much. And she loves me. She would do anything for me. Constantly making the best food that I like. I mean, the life for me. She makes my life so wonderful. I'm not going to eat your food. I got this beautiful meal waiting for me at home. I really do. My wife loves me a lot. I want you to have the same joy in marriage that I have. Not that, you know, it might be different. You know, and I was just sharing with Faith, right, about how my wife can't keep anything financial. You know, her, her, her mother's a, a, an auditor. I said, I bet your mother keeps the checkbook at home. She said, yeah, she does. I do that at home. My wife's just I mean, we would be bankrupt in six months if she kept track of, of the finances. She's not good at that. But I love that woman so much. I want you to have that. I really want you to have that. There is a secret here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these young people. And I pray you're working in their lives. I pray, Lord, for these young men that you would give them victory over lust, which so consumes them and causes them to wonder even about their Christianity as a result of this. Father, I pray that you would set them free. And Father, I pray for these young women who have the world throwing looks and looks and looks at them and how they ought to look, how they ought to smell, how they ought to appear, how they ought to dress, and they could learn to be free in you. And, Father, that they could understand the beauty of womanhood, godly womanhood, and that you would provide for them godly husbands in your time after your own choosing. And, Father, I pray for each one here that you would raise them up in good marriages where they love their spouses 
and they have children that love God. And I pray, Lord, the covering and the blessing of God to be upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen.